All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the well here at SCSA. Um, if you're just joining us, we are in part two of a series called Returning Home. Um, where we're actually going through the book of Ezra together. Um, and last week, I took a poll of uh, when the last time was that we read the book of Ezra, and I won't share those results um, for your sakes here. But I was telling you guys that the book of Ezra is like one of my favorites. Um, there's a lot of beautiful gems in there. Um, and what we learned last week is that the book of Ezra is all about a people who were living in exile, and finally God made a way for them to return home. Okay, people were living in exile, God made a way for them to return home. And the last thing we covered um, last week, what we saw, is that God delivered them in such a way, a miraculous way, that no one could have predicted. If you guys remember, there was like a king of Persia, Cyrus the king of Persia, and that was the person who told them to go back home, which was unheard of. There was no strategic advantage for the king of Persia to tell them, like his subjects, to go home and rebuild the temple of God. And after that, what we saw is that God made a way for them. God made a way for them, even though they were in exile. And what we talked about, our key thought last week was this. God never forsakes us, even when we forsake him. And I know that sounds wrong to say, but God never forsakes us, even when we forsake him. Sometimes we think, when we read those stories about like the people of Israel and they're in exile or whatever is going on, is that the people of Israel were in exile by accident, by accident. But they weren't there by accident. The people were in exile by what they were doing. They were living against the will of God. They were disobeying God. They were far away from God. And because of that, because of that, they found themselves in exile. And in the middle of that, you would think, or they, they might have been thinking, maybe God is going to raise us, like I said, like a Joshua. Okay, maybe God is going to, like a military strategist, is going to lead us out of this exile. He's going to help us out. Maybe the Messiah himself will come, or a Moses, or whoever it may be. But instead, God chose Cyrus, the king of Persia, to show them that he's still in control and that he still loves them. The lesson for us and the lesson for them they were thinking that God was sitting here idly waiting for them to return and that God was just sitting there idle. Just come back whenever you please. But the reality was that God was actually chasing after them. He was not sitting there idle at all. The lesson for us, no matter where we are in our spiritual lives, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter the things that you want to have fixed in your life, God has not forsaken you and God never forsakes us. God always makes a way for us to go back to him. And at the end of last week, what we saw is that God moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, but he also moved the hearts of the people. And the people finally got up and said, okay, we're going to go back home and we're going to build the temple. So last week was really all about what the, like God's work, like what God was doing in their lives, how God reached out to them. This week is, is going to be about the people's response. Um, so the people do go back home and they're now going to build the temple of God. And when they do that, and we're going to pick up the story here in, in Ezra chapter 3, when they do that, keep in mind this is kind of like a blueprint for us. How do we build like a or reconnect with God? Let's say I'm in a position right now where I haven't connected with God in a while. What is the blueprint? Or, you know what, I have connected with God, but there's some things that I, I just need to go in a little bit deeper. Or I'm so far away from God, it seems so distant, it seems impossible. Today we get the blueprint in Ezra chapter 3 of what we need to do to build the temples of God in our hearts. So we'll start with verse 1. When the seventh month came and the Israelites settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of God, of the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. Just as a side note before we jump in, if you're ever reading anything out loud that includes names, 
you don't have to know how to pronounce any name in the Bible. You just have to say it confidently and boldly, okay? So if you're ever confused about the names in the Bible, just say it boldly and you'll be okay. You'll be okay on your way. What we learn here is that they wasted no time. They wasted no time. They got to their, to, they went back home. God made a way for them to return home. The first thing they do, the first order of business is to build an altar for God and to serve God. Altar of God is very valuable in the Old Testament and really in the New Testament, if you think of like how we worship, especially as Orthodox Christians. The altar of God is where they connected with God. It's where they worshiped God. It's where they communed with God. That was everything for them. So they didn't waste any time doing that. But it doesn't mean that it was always easy. Listen to this next verse. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord both the morning and evening sacrifices, despite their fear of the people around them. In Ezra, we get these like little tidbits that seem like tangents, but the author puts it on there like he writes it down for a purpose. It's interesting that the author insists on adding this part in there, despite their fear. What were they afraid of? Like, if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, okay, Cyrus, the king of Persia, sent us back home. We're just doing what we were told to do. We're going to build the altar. We're going to build the temple. What do you got to be afraid of? What they knew and what we all know is that the moment we decide to truly live for God and to truly live a life with God, you put yourself on the map. You put yourself on the radar. There's always going to be spiritual warfare. And in their case, physical warfare, Okay. What they were afraid of is that they knew once people around them saw that the altar was coming up, the sacrifices were going to happen, the foundation is going to start getting laid, laid down and they're going to build the temple. No, they knew they're putting themselves on the map. And I tell you, same thing for all of us. The moment, the moment we say we're going to take our relationship with God seriously, we're going to go to the next level. You know what? It has been a while. I need to take a step. There's going to be immediate fears that we have to overcome. We all have to be ready for spiritual warfares. And... There's a lot of fears that may pop up into your mind that pop up into all of our minds, if we're being honest. One thing that you may think of, let's say you've been gone for a long time in your relationship with God. One thing you may think of immediately, what will people think of me? What will people think of me? I mean, surely I'm not the only person who's ever thought that. What will people think of me? People might think I'm being phony. I'm not being real. Is this really change? What if this kind of life isn't really for me? What if this life is for like those other people, but it's not really for me? What if I try and I fail? What if I disappoint God? And one of my favorites is what if by living this life with God, I miss out on like the fun stuff out there in the world? We all have had some sort of fears or some of those thoughts in our minds. But what I love is that they knew, even though they were afraid and they were scared, it didn't stop them. It says despite their fear, despite their fear. They knew that that kind of fear is never from God. That kind of fear is never from God. Any fear that doesn't allow us to continue to progress in our relationship with God is never from God. And they said, yeah, there might be fear, but we have a response to that kind of fear. It's called worshiping God. It's called serving God. It's building the altar of God and starting again and sacrificing and more worship. They knew that all they had to do was bring those fears in the presence of God because our fears are driven out in the presence of God. 
when we're doing the work of God, when we're seeking him, when we're loving him, when we're really like pursuing him, fear doesn't stand a chance. There's no place for fear. How many times do you go into like your quiet time or your prayer time? And I'll, I'll speak for myself here. How many times do I go into my prayer time and I have all these thoughts just going on in my mind, okay? And honestly, sometimes it's hard to focus on prayer because I'm so, you know, like I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my own head. I'm in my own thoughts. And when I do that, I go into the presence of God and finally when I'm able to focus and I really like spend time with God, spend quality time with God, I come out thinking, what was I afraid of? I come out saying to myself, kind of almost laughing at myself, like how dumb was I that like this was a real worry in my life? Like I brought this thing, that, that these fears in my life, and I brought them into the presence of God, and what I gained back was God saying, hey, you know I'm the controller of the universe, right? You know, like, I got this. Like, wow, that, that sounds like a really hard one. Like no one's ever been through that one before. We've all been there. Fears might come, but when we, consistently put, when we consistently put ourselves in the presence of God, we can prevail in spite of those fears. In Isaiah, we're reminded of this fact, and this is a great memory verse if you ever struggle with this, where God is speaking and he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What God is telling us in this passage, is that he's a personal God, that he cares about us, and he cares about all, everything that we have going on in our, in our lives. If we are doing the work of God, we never have anything to fear, because what we do when we go in the presence of God is we get eternal perspective. St. Anthony the Great, uh, the, the father of monasticism, St. Anthony the Great says the following. He kind of flips this paradigm on its head, and he says, you have fears, or you think you have fears, but actually, here's really how it works. He tells us, like, when we have a spiritual perspective, here's really how it works. The devil is afraid of us when we pray and make sacrifices. He is also afraid when we are humble and good. He is especially afraid when we love Jesus very much. I love that. It's very simple, very profound. St. Anthony is saying what now? Who's afraid of who? He said, there's no room for fear. Children of God? No, 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 no. You're never afraid. If you're truly in the presence of God, if you're seeking God, fear is not something that you should have. It's actually the exact opposite. When we're in the presence of God, that spiritual warfare that we were talking about, yeah, you're going to put yourself on the map, but they're going to be afraid of you. How many of us ever even think this way? And the thing, if you ever want to read about St. Anthony the Great, the things that he, that he went through and the temptations and the, and the trials that he went through would make us all shake in our boots, okay? Like if you ever go read about St. Anthony the Great, like he dealt with some crazy stuff. But he's saying, I'm not afraid. Actually, the devil's afraid of us when we're connected with God. The first thing we learn from the book of Ezra, a blueprint, a blueprint to how do we reestablish that connection with God? How do we start again? How do we connect with God once more? How do we build the temple of God in our hearts? No more fear. Nothing can, can stand in the way um, of the presence of God, especially fear. Let's continue with the book of Ezra. Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as, as, well as, those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. 
On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Ezra is the best at putting footnotes in the actual verse. Okay, So we read earlier, despite their fears, they built. They built the altar of God and they sacrificed. And now we learn that the foundation had not yet been laid, but they continued with a lot of offerings, a lot of sacrifices. Things were kind of going as normal for them. You would think these are not the ideal circumstances. You would think that, hey, let's get the temple figured out. Let's get everything in its proper place. And then we can worship. Then we can serve. Let's do the job right. Why the rush? Why are we rushing this thing? Like nothing is actually perfect yet. We haven't done what we were actually called here to do. We haven't built the temple yet. They were on a mission. They were on a mission. They didn't want to waste any time. They were so moved by what God had done for them, how God had saved them. They were excited. They were ready to get to work. They didn't want to waste time. They said, yeah, we're going to build the temple of God, but we're also going to sacrifice. We're going to worship God in the same time. Oftentimes we think that we need to have everything in the right place, in the right order, before we establish that connection with God. But what they're showing us is that's backwards thinking. Lesson for us is we got to stop waiting for the perfect time. we got to stop waiting for the perfect time because honestly, it's not coming. There is no such thing as a perfect time. There's always something. Sometimes I hear things like, um, you know, people will say, when my life is right or when I get my life like, when I'm like back on track, then I'll come to God. <laughs> you know like how ridiculous that sounds, right? Like when my life is right, when I like, when I figure it out, like when I, I, I myself figure it all out, I have it all under control, then I'll come to God. Who gave us that idea? That's foolishness. Which one of us like would say, oh yeah, I have like, I've had this like, you know, pneumonia thing or this cough or whatever. We'll stay away from viruses for now, but like maybe like I have this, you know, medical thing and I've had it for, for a while and you know what, but I'm going to wait until I get myself right. I have myself on like this chicken soup, you know, like uh, a diet, like I'm good. Once I get myself right, then I'll go to the doctor. No one ever thinks like that. No one thinks like that. Or a better one. When it's not such a busy season for me, then I'll really start. Then I'll really invest in my relationship with God. I'm just really busy right now. And no one understands like busy, 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 like we just talked about in the last series. I'm just too busy right now. I'm just too busy right now. You'll always find ways to fill your time with something. The question is, will you make this a priority or not? We all need to stop waiting for the perfect time. I'll speak to myself here as well as there, there are times in my life when I, you know, I know the step that God is calling me to take, but I'm like, no, no, but I have to just, I have to just figure it out. We have a lot of like, and I'm sure I can relate with some like the perfectionists in the room. Like, no, like I just have to just, just, just one more tweak. Just like a couple more things, and then I'll figure it out. There's a, a beautiful quote by Winston Churchill who, who once said that perfection is the enemy of progress. Perfection is the enemy of progress. It's very true to our spiritual lives. It's very true to our spiritual lives as well because if we are going to wait for the right moment, the perfect time to come, there will be no progress. And to be honest, the longer we wait, the harder it is. If you're thinking to yourself, okay, we got the fear thing down. No more waiting. It's time to start. Time to reestablish that connection with God. But where do I start? Like, what's, what's the one proactive step I can take? The book of Ezra really helps us out. We're going to keep reading here in the book of Ezra. And listen carefully because it's actually a common theme throughout the book. 
When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What we see here is that the building of the temple that we've been talking about, when we talk about like the individual things that we need to do, but what we see clearly here, over and over again, and throughout this entire story, the Bible very rarely talks, especially like in the Old Testament, about like individual characters out of context. It's always about the people of God. It's always about a group of people. And we see that here. The builders, there's more than one builder. And with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, all the people together gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. Sometimes we think we have to fix our relationship with God on our own. But I'm here to tell you that's actually not Christian. It's not biblical, it's not Christian. Temple building is a communal work. For sure there's the individual aspect. There's our part that we have to do. There's like my relationship with God individually, of course, always. But there's nothing more powerful there's nothing more powerful than when it's a group of people doing the work. There's nothing more powerful. And that's why the celebration that they had, it was all the people gave a great shout. Isolated Christianity is not actually Christianity. I don't know what version of Christianity it is, but that's not real. Not like, and sometimes we think, okay, well, what about like monasticism and the monks? They actually live in communities, most of them. Like for, for the majority, like 99.999%, they live in communities. Because this is a fact of life. You know, uh, one thing that I love about the rites of the church, liturgically, when we come around the table, the temple of the Lord, and we come, and we come to worship, I can't get up here and pray a liturgy by myself. Like, it's against the rites of the church. I cannot pray a liturgy on my own. Like, I can't just, like, go, like, to my basement and just, like, pray a liturgy. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. And the reason is because of this very thing, is that God is trying to teach us everything that you do is the work of the people. Temple building is a communal effort. It's a communal work. I remember uh, before coming to STSA, so I came to, I think STSA started in 2012. I came around 2014 or so. If you ask me on another day, I'll give you a different date because I have a terrible memory, okay? Um, but I came around 2014. Um, and at the time, one of the main things that I felt God was telling me personally, like, you know, over and over again, was very much this thing, that temple building is a communal work, that you cannot do this on your own. You actually need to plug into a community, a community that like, is really going to push you and, and help you in your spiritual life. And I'll be honest, I'm just going to confess here, this is not me. And if you know me personally on like, a one-on-one -on -one level, I am very much, I'm very comfortable like, doing things on my own. I'm very comfortable kind of you know, just handling things on my own. Like, I don't necessarily want to be always part of like, the group effort. Especially when it comes to something like this, I felt like, okay, God, but like, is it really important? And I'm telling you, the nudge that I felt about God kind of pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, there are very few times that I can say with certainty that I had clarity about what God was calling me to do. There's very few times. And thanks be to God for that, okay? Because I honestly don't know where my spiritual life would be if I just went on the track thinking to myself, no, I could do it on my own. No, 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 I got it. I got it all covered. I don't know where my spiritual life would be. If you don't know where to start, 
if you need that kind of jolt in your spiritual life. This is my advice to you. Whether you like to do it or not, invest, not just be passive, but invest in a community of believers that's going to help you and push you towards being closer to God. Nothing is more powerful than a group. Nothing is more powerful than community. And both in the positive and in the negative. Like nothing is more powerful on the positive end if I'm plugged into a community that's leading me closer to God. Nothing is, <laughs> it's also very powerful if I'm connected to a community of people that lead me further away from God. It's very powerful. It's actually very hard to, to take yourself out of that. It's a very powerful like gravitational pull. If we want to build temples of God in our hearts or reestablish that connection, never isolate yourself in the process. Really become part of the body of Christ and not just a passive participant, but find a way to really invest in people. Not just about what I'm, I'm getting out of it, but really what, what am I giving to others? If you read anything in the Bible, in the Old Testament, New Testament, it's all focused on the group gathering, the, the people of God. Nothing is done in isolation. Let's continue with the book of Ezra. But many of the older priests and Levites, and by the way, you would think at this point, like they, they, they are out of exile. They've come home, okay? They, they're out of exile. They've come home. They've built the altar of God. They've sacrificed to God. The foundations are laid. They celebrated. This should be the end of Ezra chapter 3, but clearly it's not. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud. Okay, And when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. That's kind of confusing. Like you would think everyone should be happy. What's going on? Why are some people weeping? No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise the sound was heard far away. Did anyone catch there why they were weeping? Why, like why are they upset? Like, you were in exile three seconds ago, and now you're not in exile. God made a way for you to get out. You have an altar now. You're praising God, you're worshiping God, you're communing with God. The people of God are together, and everyone is worshiping God, everyone is happy. Why are there people weeping? And it says there that uh, the older priests and Levites, you know, they're like the doom and gloom guys, okay? The older priests and Levites, doom and gloom. Why are they weeping? What's the problem? Why aren't you just happy? Why aren't you celebrating? Why aren't you thanking God? Again, Ezra brilliantly tells us in these like little footnotes, he tells us there are things to watch out for. So he says, you, you have the blueprint for building the temple of God in your life. You have the blueprint. No more fear. No more waiting around. And it, you be part of a community. Like really focus on the communal effort. But he says, hey, by the way, there's one thing to watch out for. If you want one thing, there's one thing to watch out for. One thing that could steal your joy is comparison. Don't let comparison steal your joy. If you caught what they were weeping about there, they were sad that this new temple, because they built the foundation, wasn't like the old one. It didn't look the same. It wasn't as glorious. They were thinking about Solomon and, and the days of Solomon. It's like, this is nothing compared to what we had before. If you want something to steal your joy, to steal a heart of gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving, this will do it. Every single time, comparison will do it. There's always a temptation in our spiritual lives to compare ourselves to other people in like in an unhealthy way. And there's a temptation to say, 
well, that person's good at this. I can never be as good as that person, so it's just not worth it. But sometimes, it's not even just comparing to, to like each other, but really comparing to like what my life with God was before and what it is now. Like if God is doing a work in my life now, yeah, but it wasn't like, man, like my like college years, man, I was like prime time with God. Like that was like me like really connected with God. And of course, college years never, but just for the sake of argument. But like that was like prime, t- like I was really connected with God. I was, man, I was on fire for God. But now it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm reestablishing like this, you know, prayer routine in my life and that's great and all, but it wasn't what it was. If we're being honest, if we're being honest, first of all, we usually like romanticize about the past, about like the things of, of, of old, of like how great our lives, <laughs> like we think we were like St. Paul living here on this, or like I don't know what we were thinking, but we, we romanticize about the past. But also the moment we do that, we're really like offending God. Because God is trying to do a work in us today, right now. And we're focused on the past. Or sometimes we're thinking about the future. But God is saying, no, 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 don't compare to any other time period in life, don't compare to anyone else in your life about the work that I'm doing specifically in your, in your own life. The point is to thank God for what he is doing. There are very few things that can steal your joy, that can steal a heart of thanksgiving than comparison. And we can all compare, and we think when we compare to, to other people, by the way, like we think we know what their lives are like, but we actually have no idea. We just do it by what we see on the outside. If you want, and I know I want, this process of rebuilding, and I hope, by the way, that, that all of us, everyone in this room, if you're not in a life group, that you're joining a life group, I hope that these are the things that you're discussing in your life group. What am I doing to really build that temple of God in my life? And, and here, again, we have that blueprint from Ezra. And what are the things kind of getting in the way of that? And the blueprint for us is this. This is what we get from Ezra chapter 3. No more fear. No more waiting, no more isolation, and no more comparison. No more fear, no more waiting, no more isolation, no more comparison. Fear has the power, fear has the power to just stop me in my tracks. But when I take my fears in the presence of God, St. Anthony the Great told us, it's actually the other way around. You're not the one that's supposed to be afraid. The devil is the one that's afraid. Waiting. There's never a perfect time. There's never a perfect opportunity you will always make an excuse. Isolation. I promise you, nothing is more powerful than a community. And I take it from, from a skeptic. Nothing is more powerful than a community. If you want to truly take your relationship with God to the next level or reignite your relationship with God, invest in, in a community of believers that will lead you closer to God. And this like, key thing is what we learned through the book of Ezra over and over again. And no more comparison. If we fall into that comparison trap, we are, in essence, what we're saying is that God, what you're, the work that you're doing in my life, overrated. You know, it was way better before. Like, God, like, you kind of, like, lost your touch. Okay, like, God, like, you were really good before, but now, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm feeling like, like it was just so much better before. Or, God, but what about that person? That person has a really close relationship with you, but, but I don't feel like I have that same relationship with you. We need to quit doing all this stuff if we really want to build the temple of God in our hearts. My prayer from the beginning of this uh, uh, series, and I told you guys last week that I truly believe that this is a message from God for all of us. Like all of us have something to do in this area, but I truly believe that th- like it came at the perfect time for a lot of people. A lot of people have been struggling with this. 
And I'm telling you, the book of Ezra is beautiful in this regard because it gives us the blueprint of what we need to do. And last week we saw the, the power of God, the beauty of God, like just how great and awesome God is, how he chose a king, a Persian king who had nothing to do with anything to tell the people, I'm still working, I'm still chasing after you, I'm still pursuing you. And after all of that, the people said, okay, we're ready to go home, we're inspired, we're ready to go, what should we do? How can we do it, Lord? We want to build that temple for you. And here it is. This is the blueprint. We're not afraid. I don't care about who's against me. I've got on my side. I'm not afraid. We're not waiting anymore. We're going to attack this thing head on. We're not isolating ourselves. Because if we isolate ourselves, we're so much weaker. And we're going to quit comparing ourselves to either uh, ourselves of old or to each other. And when we do that, I really do believe that God is going to work a mighty work in all of us. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we're so thankful and, and grateful for your love towards us, for how much you truly pursue us, Lord, and, and never give up on us, never forsake us. We're just so honored to be your children and so thankful for your compassion and mercy towards us, Lord. Lord, I pray a special prayer for everyone going through this series um, that you're truly touching all of our hearts and telling us the areas that you want us to reconnect with you, Lord. Whether it is, Lord, uh, just like a broken temple that we have in our hearts or just a rebuilding completely of the temple of, of that, that you want us to build in, in our hearts for you, Lord, that you guide us and that you show us the way, Lord. Help us to live a life where we're not afraid, not afraid of the earthly circumstances, not afraid of, of anyone that's against us, but knowing, Lord, that you are for us. And when you are for us, we have nothing to be afraid of. Help us, Lord, always live as a community of believers, as the body of Christ, truly connected to one another, investing in, e in each other, Lord, not being passive participants. And Lord, allow us to seek you and to really be thankful and grateful for the work that you are doing in our lives and never comparing to anyone else or to anything else, Lord. We pray, Lord, all these things in your name through the intercessions of your Holy Mother of God, the Theotokos St. Mary, St. Timothy and St. Athanasius, here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, 